All right, we're back. This is Psychotronicast. My name is Alec Berg, and the talent is Derek Estes, featuring my son, Jack Berg, all coming to you live from the bunker, recorded at an earlier time, so I guess it's not really live anymore. You can and you should subscribe to us on Instagram and follow us on um, whatever platform you can listen to podcasts on. We're on Spotify, we're on Google Play, we're on Apple Podcasts, Last FM, pretty much you name it. We also have a website that has our back catalog of um, all of our episodes that we've ever done because I know Spotify and Apple only has like the last 25 that we've done and can you believe we're somewhere in the 80s now? I can because we've been doing this for three years. We also have a Patreon for $5 a month. You can subscribe and you can get a bonus podcast every time we post a podcast for free. So we've got almost 20 in the book right now and they just keep getting weirder and more obscure and funnier and, and sometimes crazier they also and off the cuff. from the types of movies that we might talk about here so yeah um, if you're curious what we might talk about and you know yeah sometimes stories. we'll talk about tom cruise sometimes we'll talk about screwball comedy uh i think we're going to be talking about matthew mcconaughey's the beach bum oh yeah uh later on in the podcast when it comes to patreon you can find our patreon at patreon.com slash psychotronicast or you can click the icon on the top left corner of our website okay without further ado derek what the hell are you getting us into all right so since we're talking about uh director cheng che one of the the godfather of kung fu cinema um we're moving on we just talked about uh his wuxia classic the one-armed swordsman and the new one-armed swordsman in episode one and now we're moving on to uh the period kind of known as the Iron Triangle. Uh, it's, uh, I've also heard it's like the Golden Triangle, but the Golden Triangle sounds like a sex act, so we'll stick with the <laughs> Iron Triangle. Um, and it's a series of movies that director Ching Che did with uh, his stars David Chang and T. Lung. Uh, it's a little broad. There's, there's some movies all together. I did a, a list on Letterboxd, so I tried to you know like figure out how many there really were. Um, and by the count I was able to put together, it's like 22. Uh, and some of them, they work together. Some, I think each of them kind of do a little cameo, but uh, there are a shit ton of these movies. Uh, we're going to do some of the, the more notable or more important of the, the movies, though even some of the, like down the line over the past month, I've been like binge watching all of these because like we mentioned on uh, episode one, all of these are available on Amazon Prime uh, in HD. So uh, yeah, if you have an Amazon Prime account, uh, absolutely follow along with us, and you can you can watch them and give your thoughts as well. Um, but the first one we're going to start off with is Vengeance uh, from 1970. It stars David Chang and T. Long, uh, obviously, and uh, yeah, this one is definitely it's different. It's not uh, one of the Wuxia films, but it kind of starts a lot of uh, these gangster films that they're doing, and kind of a very uh, you know, Hong Kong triad style gangster film. It's was really popular, especially right before like Bruce Lee kind of uh, got really big and, you know, Kung Fu kind of exploded everywhere. But mm-hmm. I think they, you know, we'll talk a little bit later. I think you have things to say, but um, I think they're just, yeah, they're really fun and they are really insane. Um, but to start things off, this movie begins in the Peking Opera. I talked a little bit about it in the first episode, but how the Peking Opera was a huge influence on the rise of Kung Fu. A lot of the people who were involved in these movies um, were in Peking Opera schools. So you'll see a lot of uh, the style of the fighting will be really like, uh, 
It's very dance-like. And this movie actually begins um, in the Peking Opera, and you see T. Long as this Peking Opera dancer, like in this uh, the situation. You see this this gangster. I should know this actor's name because he appears in some of these other movies. A lot of these movies, the more you watch, you start recognizing all of the the little supporting characters or the people that kind of keep coming in and out. Um, it's really fun. But this gangster kind of comes in and he starts flirting with one of these other performers and she's T. Lung's girlfriend, you find out. Maybe even his wife. Um, and you know he's just really putting the moves on her. It ends up going into a, they end up getting a, a rivalry between the two men. Uh, and T. Lung eventually goes to confront this guy there's a this like tea house or it's like a school or whatever everyone's like playing mahjong and uh he goes to like confront the guy and there's this insane battle that goes on like it's like the first really big battle between all of them and uh it's great like the uh the scene is kind of interesting. It goes back and forth where it will show like the fighting that's going on and it will cut back and forth to the the way that they would perform that in the Peking Opera. This is my favorite editing in all the films that we've covered so far or that we're going to cover so far in the Shaw Brothers. This cross-cutting editing style with the Chinese theater is my favorite. It's really cool. So basically, like at that point, uh, David Chang ends up coming in and he's like, he actually, in this movie, he has a really great interest where you can just see his legs walking down the stairs, and he just instantly, like, he just has, like, that super stylish persona that's, like, both kind of like a dandy that's just, like, the savage killer. Yeah. And this movie is kind of, uh, it's been uh, pointed out before that this is kind of like a remake of John Borman's Point Blank, and that's similar both in the editing style, but then also in the fact that he is, like, this character that's so... Um, like focus on this one goal and that's to avenge his brother this who you see like through editing because they'll see these flashes back and forth where he's also like dancing on the stage mm -hmm. you know kind of like the fighting back and forth where it's just like you just totally through like just visual exposition like understand who he is and what his deal is and he basically like through the rest of this movie will go through and try to find everyone responsible for like for t Lung's death even like his uh, you know, his widow, and then, uh, you know, like, everybody involved. And it's crazy. It just keeps escalating more and more until you, like, these fights seem to just get more and more epic until, like, that end battle, which is just so crazy. Like, it, uh, he ends up at, it, like, a lot of these, they end up in, like, uh, you know, these big, like, uh, inns or, like, these giant tea houses that are, like, multi-layered. Yeah, like, two-story restaurants or what have Yeah, you. exactly. Mm -hmm. And that one is just so great, like, when um, he's, you know, finally, like, gets up, and it's, like, one of those, like, one against, like, a hundred, like, all these movies. Um, but he's just, like, his, like, super acrobatic. Like, when he finally, like, shows up at the end, and then uh, he's on the stairs, and, like, the guys who, the bad guys, you know that he's, like, finally coming to try to, like, kill them. But I love when he, like, flips off the stairs, too. Yeah, just, like, is hiding in the rafters, which is funny, because they totally use that in Kill Bill. Oh, yeah. Um... But he's just, like, just so savage. He's also, like, so stylish. He's just, like, a pop star the whole time. Like, his crazy, like, flip of hair. Mm -hmm. um, and he just keeps playing through all, a lot of these movies where it's, like, he's just totally just so smooth and just crazy. 
Um, but this is a movie that kind of like really brought that trend together. Yeah. Um, it's when like, and even in this movie, being kind of Iron Triangle, like T Long and David Chang almost never share any scenes with me except for like those flashbacks of them both dancing. Yeah, because the one dies so quick. Yeah, exactly. So he's just like out. And then the rest of the movie, and you do have this kind of other like totally unconvincing like subplot where David Chang is kind of dating that woman and there's like this off and on romance. It's really stylish to look at. This movie also does seem a lot like uh, like the Sushin Suzuki movies. Like, I know you just watched Tokyo Drifter yeah. recently, but it's just that, that look and that super sleek uh-huh. style. And it's also where, you know, those Japanese movies that have been coming out for quite a while, like they were super blood soaked and just like crazy. And those were another big influence on like this shift in Hong Kong filmmaking where it was like, getting bloodier, getting more violent, more over the top. Just a sidebar to talk about my, one of my favorite quotes ever, Hollywood quotes at least, from Sunjin Suzuki, where he's like, he said this thing once in an interview where he said, uh, my films that I make, they don't make sense and they don't make money. <laughs> it's like that and the Robert Evans quote of, there are two sides to every story, or three sides to every story, his side, her side, and the truth, and nobody's lying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's like just, uh Yeah. Robert. <laughs> you saw that movie. Bobby. Um, yeah. So this movie, yeah, kind of set it off. And but I love just how sing- it's just like, it's really, even the plot in this one, I mean, it's, all, it's mostly like, the plot is really simple in this movie. A lot of them will get like, the plots will get so complicated and crazy. Like, mm-hmm. we talked about the duel. The plotting and the crossing and double crossing in that movie gets so complicated that you, at a certain point, you almost can't keep up with like, who, you know, like what's motivating any of the things. But you just know like, okay, this is like, these people are fucked up. These are the bad guys. And, the, you know, this is, like, just carnage. And this movie is definitely that. Like, you definitely just know what his main goal is. Um, but this, yeah, it has just that crazy... This is one of the first of those big endings where it's, like, total... Oh, my God. Annihilation. And then, yeah. like, he kills everybody. And then at the end, he's just, like, he just crawls out. And he's just dead. Yep. Out in the the lawn. The old slow mo die a slow painful death. Oh and yeah. We have to watch it. And he has this just like immaculate white suit. It's it's so great. It's just, great. Yeah. It's amazing. So we move on to the duel, but it's yes. also known as the duel of iron fists. I get. There's or, a lot of these movies have like, and that's one of the things that gets really complicated with these movies. Like the people, the people have different names. Like some of them have like. Yeah, three or four different names. Some will be like multiple different Chinese names, and some will have an English name. And then, um, yeah, like the way these movies are marketed is crazy. I mean, I guess Italian movies have that too, where it's like. Yeah, exactly. You know, Tenebrae is known as in Unsane, or Black Sunday is known as like Mask of Satan. Or, yeah. Or like, okay, which movie were we talking about? So, Chin Chain, uh, it'd be good to bring up now that in 1971, this motherfucker made six films. And we thought Jess Franco was prolific. All right, yeah. so he's in the company of Ford, Franco, Fassbender, Miyake, and now Chain. It's like yeah. these guys just like riled him off, just boop, 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 boop. And what's insane about this one is I might actually be convinced. Oh, it's actually on the Boxer movie. I'll save that thought for the Boxer movie. But yeah, this guy is just just a factory that they just keep pumping out these films. Yeah. And that was it, like, they had, like, so many people just working for them, like, nonstop, so they could just, like, keep turning them out. Well, like, the choreography is fucking insane, too, because 
all right, let's say you're Chin Chain. It's like, all right, I'm going to direct my 20th fight scene this year. Exactly. Okay, how are we going to differentiate this from all the others that we've done so far? And some can be very similar to each other, but a lot are very, like, inventive or just, like... This time it's different because they have hatchets or, you yeah, know, exactly. just something little to be like, this wasn't like the last thing you just saw in the last movie or in the last scene. This is this now because they're revolving the same sets and they have the same actors well, and it takes place in the same time period. So it's like, how are we going to spruce this up? Yeah. Um, well, and some of it is like the choreography director. It's like, uh, yeah, Luke Che Lin, who did um, a lot of it, like him and that Tang guy, his name I can always or never remember. Did a lot of that. They were just so good at that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just finding those specialized people who can just, like, okay, you're really good at, like, fight choreography. And there'd be some people who are really good at, like, one-on-one fight choreography, and some people who are really good with the groups. And all these movies have these huge group scenes. Yeah. And um, something I like about The Duel is the introduction to the blowtorch. Oh, yeah. Where it's like the it's like the interrogation scene, which has been used in so many movies since then, American movies. I remember growing up, there's at least like three movies from the 80s I grew up watching. I think it was in like one of the Lethal Weapons. Yeah. It was in Tango and Cash. Um, it was in, they just briefly talked about it in Pulp Fiction, a Pair of Pliers and a Blowtorch, and uh, something else that's escaping me. But it's like something about uh, a whole lot of Fahrenheit going against your skin is the most scary, scary thing on earth. Oh, yeah. Well, I think part, some of that is. Like it's the type of um, like injury that we can we know what being burnt feels like. You know, I think sometimes things like uh, you know, like being stabbed or being shot, like we know abstractly, you know. But um, you know, we've all been burnt. Or same with like when you see people like they get their teeth knocked out. Like mm. you just know, like that's just something so visceral that like we can relate to that. Uh huh. Um, so the duel is interesting. Like this movie, it starts with T Long, and he's getting this really awesome butterfly tattoo on his chest yeah um and which, if you've ever gotten a tattoo in your life it's that's not what a tattoo artist that's not his hand motion or something oh yeah it's no. totally fine it's whatever oh yeah but it's also great that he's getting this giant butterfly tattooed on his chest it's so great and it's like it's supposed to be for like his girlfriend who yeah. ends up like whatever it will do that but yeah it, i actually have a, ta- a, a butterfly tattooed on me but for different reasons Usually butterflies in tattoo culture, at least American culture, actually I think it's in Japanese culture, is because we steal everything from uh, Japanese people oh, when yeah. it comes to tattoos, is it supposed to like signify rebirth. But I got this butterfly tattoo. I bought my friend a tattoo kit when we were, were 21. Him and his, me and his mom went halvesies on it because he wanted to be a tattoo artist. And we were heavy into drugs back then. So I was just like, sure, you can use my leg as like a you know, guinea pig. We were in San Francisco for the first time ever in our lives, and he brought his tattoo kit, and I was like, just give me something gay. We're staying in the Castro, and then I got this. I got a tattoo <laughs> of a butterfly. But it's funny to watch this, and this guy's like like getting a tattoo of a butterfly chest piece for his woman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, that's funny. I thought of it. Well, it's funny, his tattoos, because he has, T-Long has like, his own tattoos that come up. They use it as a plot device in... Uh, uh, duel of fists where he, um, um, both arms he has these little tattoos he has uh, like an anchor on one side two swallows like yep. sparrows on each side and then he has a Jerry the mouse like the cartoon character which is what's, just great what's Jerry the mouse like, like Tom and Jerry oh like, so right above one on the um, it's on his right shoulder like that one's a little it's harder to see in this movie god how long have Tom and Jerry been around 
since the 40s, which is funny because this movie takes place earlier, like, um, wow. yeah, like the turn of the century or something, but it's it's just great. But in, uh, yeah, Duel of Fist, they use it, and David Chang has to try to find his uh, long-lost brother, and all he knows are the tattoos he has. Okay. It's great because it, you see these movies, you like you know Tu Long's tattoos anyhow, and you're like, oh, those are his, you have to yep. find them. Um, all he knows are the tattoos. Uh, so he's uh, getting this, this tattoo, and he ends up, Quickly, he ends up meeting David Chang out in the uh, alleyway. And he's David Chang in this movie is called the Rover, and he's kind of uh, he's not really involved in either the, like any of the Triad gangs, but he's kind of literally just like a rover, like he's kind of this independent, like kind of hitman. But they get in a little bit of a skirmish out in the streets, and then later, um, when T Lunga goes back to his like his big boss, they're like all kind of getting ready to go to this funeral. And they end up bringing in, like, David Chang to, like, come help out. And they all end up heading over to, like, their adversary's funeral. So, like, the the lead is about to go down. And they're all bringing these wreaths. And they're instantly the people who, at the funeral, know, like, something's up. Like, why are these guys coming? They hated him. Why are they trying to bring these wreaths? Mm-hmm. Well, they're bringing him because they're full of knives. <laughs> yep. And you get this, like, really awesome, like, fight scene where there's... Uh, Everyone's dressed in either team, like in either black or white. Black, exactly. I was, yep. And it's so great. And it's great because I love David Chang so much in this movie, too. Like, even when he, they make the introduction of the dinner, like, oh, guess who's here? And David Chang, he comes out from around the, the corner and he just has this fan. Like, his two accessories are like a fan and a cigarette holder. And it's yep. funny because when we did our uh, first short film, like Four Flies in Gray Velvet, yep. that was my introduction. That was. I stepped out in a kimono yeah. and I, I swatted my fan. So I'd like to say that I based on David Chang, but I did not know about that then. But. And if you haven't seen it yet, it's available on either YouTube or our website, psychotronicast.com, Four Corpses in Gray Portland. Look that shit up. Can you believe it's been two and a half years since we've done that? Or three oh, yeah. and a half. Two or three. Either way, time flies. It does fly. Um... Yeah, I just love all of that. But I love how when those big fight scenes happen, and through this movie you get a lot of it where um, David Chang, the Robert, he's just very like laid back. So even like there'll be total chaos, and he kind of just like he wanders through it, and you know, like kind of admires it until he decides to really like get down and freak out. Like there's this kind of cavalier attitude that he has that's just like. And it reminds me of a lot of uh, even like Clint Eastwood in Sergio Leone's films where there's this kind of hyper reality where it's like you are just that cool of a customer that you can just like you just don't need to get hot under the collar about this shit and then mm-hmm. when you do it's like you're gonna be like the most lethal yeah like anybody stealth ninja ever stealth yeah ninja, stealth kung fu guy yeah he's just uh it's cool as cucumber it's so great um yeah and then so they end up uh like all kind of like after all, all of that and all this shit goes down they like conquer these other people uh they end up kind of having this like sort of like friendship rivalry thing and then this other like fight breaks out and then ultimately t lung's boss ends up getting killed like this this huge fight in the darkness no one knows what's going on and the people like higher up in his gang they're like okay like all this shit's gone down like you need to like someone needs to like kind of take the fall for this and like get out of town, mm-hmm. and so T Lung's character like you know, he's like okay like you know his his father is dead and he's like super distraught and he's like fuck I'll do it like I'll get out of town they're gonna give him money he's gonna go to the south and hide out 
and then um, you're like, okay, for a year. Back. That's yeah, a theme in these movies. Oh, yeah, exactly. He's gone for a year, everybody. Exactly. <laughs> um, so then, yeah, he like he hands he they're like yeah, goes out of town. And he starts, like, this new life. He's, like, working in, like, some sort of, like, factory or, like, you know, shipping or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he ends up, like, kind of getting hit. Like, he's, like, he realizes someone's, like, trying to kill him. And, like, yeah. things get a little, like, fucked up. And uh, he's, like, starts kind of basically making his way back home. And he realizes, that, yeah, this shit's super fucked up. And he runs into, like... Uh, his old like sidekick, his best friend, who's this actor who also is in like almost all of these movies. Uh, for the, uh, he's always like, kind of, yeah, yeah, he's always like the pipsqueaky kind totally. of. Totally, he's never like the macho man. He's always just like the string bean. That's the exactly. um, second fiddle, or kind of like the Robin to the Batman. Uh huh. And this movie has he has this character trait where he always has the sniffles, where he's mm. always just like kind of sniffing. But he's really cute. he's in like yeah all these movies and. Uh, yeah, I don't know. By the way, all of these actors, at least from what I've checked, still alive. Oh yeah, like they live forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I'm, you know, people can talk about like vitamins and this and that and being like, oh, that's phony baloney or whatever. My wife has gotten me on like Eastern medicine stuff, like Chinese mumbo jumbo, and I'm thinking she had the greatest point where it's just like. You know, the life expectancy for Americans or Canadians or whatever was always like, you know, 30 or 40 or 50, depending on the era. It's just like Chinese people have always lived to be like 100. And it's like they, there's like something out there that's like a secret. I'm sure it's genetics, but also like whatever their intake and is. And also like you think about these people, like how fit they are. They are like dancers. Exactly. And dancers live forever, too. Yeah. They're not like. How old was not... Fred Astaire when he died? He was old, too. Uh, right? Yeah. I mean, he was like he died in 87. Um, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, he was probably about like 87 or 90 years old. I think he was born. Yeah. Yeah. You know, right around the turn of the century. Uh, Gene Kelly died. Uh, didn't die until 1996. Crazy. Um, I didn't even know that. Yeah, I mean, so a lot of people, I mean, they were just ever, I mean, like, Eartha Kitt, like, all those, like, ballet dancers, I mean, they, like, go forever. And when I saw Eartha Kitt the year she died, uh, she was performing, and she was dancing, and great, she had cancer, and, you know, oh my she died by the end of the year, but she, you wouldn't have known from seeing her. Word of the wise, get light in those loafers and start fucking exactly. cutting a row. I mean, it's so, like, it's so physically demanding, and it's, like, so, you know, I mean, it's so physical. Yeah. You know? So I think that... That probably has something to do with it. I mean, these guys, you know, like, yeah, it's funny. I mean, they all lived crazy lives. Like, you hear, like, I'll read the stories of, like, oh, all these people, you know, getting killed. Like, the guy, uh, uh, Wang Yu, Jimmy Wang Yu, who's in the first one armed swordsman, I mean, he went on forever, but he, like, was constantly getting in, like, crazy, like, fights and whatever. Like, he, uh, ended up getting accused of murder, which he ended up, like, whatever they had to throw out for, like, lack of evidence. Christ. Like, it was always, you know, like, like it's like so many people lived like these movies Chinese Oliver Reed but it's even like Bruce Lee like he was always getting into crazy street fights and he was just like really volatile and that's probably also like when he pushed himself so hard that's probably also why he died so young watching all of these Shaw Brothers films kind of I haven't seen a Bruce Lee film I know they did the Hong Kong-a-thon recently at the Hollywood Theater and I caught the last two or three films of it so I missed Enter the Dragon oh yeah bum me out because you're like the print was immaculate yeah it was a great print and I was like oh my god but I haven't seen a Bruce Lee film in years and years and years so it, it you know prompted me to watch like just some Bruce Lee clips on YouTube in between watching some of these Shaw Brother films yeah and it's so nuts the, the, the level that he goes to in comparison to David Chang and like everybody else in these films it's like 
to equate it to sports or whatever, it's like there was basketball players and then there was Michael Jordan. It yeah. was just like there was kung fu people and then there was fucking Bruce Lee. And it was just like all bets were off. He's so fucking fast. He's so handsome. He has like all this charisma. Exactly. He's built like a chassis, even though I'm sure if we ever saw him in the flesh, he's very short and mm-hmm. very like, you know, he's, he's very small. But like at least on film, when it's blown up, you're just like, that guy has like an eight pack. No one moves as fast as him. No one has that like stare. Like he's he had it all. It's yeah. just crazy. So watching like the David Chains of the world and everybody else in these Shaw Brother things, it was just only the build up to something great. And I hope we can cover. Uh, I it, I just need an excuse to watch like five Bruce Lee films so we can make well, it an episode. All the <laughs> so I know that's that's so crazy because I was even looking up. Uh, speaking of basketball again, I was like, all right, what was that movie that he did with? Uh, uh, Lou Alcindor, who became uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in 1978, is when it got released. But it, it was, was a, a, a game of death. Game of death, but it was an unfinished film. Yeah, and that was yeah. And they used to play that all the time back in the day on AMC, yeah. where they had the rights to it. So they play, it, and that's where I'd see it over and over again. And it would always like somehow it either always turn to that scene, or maybe that movie was just only that scene. I don't even know. It's, yeah, the most but memorable scene right now. Definitely the most memorable scene. And yeah, the giant footprint yeah. on his thing. And yeah, it was just super wild. Yeah. Um, that was the thing I think that like Bruce Lee's like the, yeah, he, he's the best part of his movies. Oh my God, Like yeah. that's like the, From what I can remember, with, I don't remember anything about his movies besides him. And the Dragon has some fun stuff. I mean, it has some goofy stuff too, but I do think that like if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't. Yeah, you really wouldn't have to watch those movies. You yeah, know, like, exactly. Uh, but he was. I mean, that's the thing is he was just so dynamic and charismatic and very handsome. And yeah, just the way he moved. You know, they called him like what, like three, three hit Bruce or whatever. It's like they wanted these bigger fight scenes. He's like, no one would survive more than three. You know, like yeah, three strikes. You know, um, and they did. Um, you know, there's always that growing up. Especially, like, you know, before the internet era and stuff, you'd hear all these tall tales about Bruce Lee. It was always, like, the most fun thing to talk about in the schoolyard. I don't know how many Bruce Lee's I, conversations I had with my friends growing up. Like, can Bruce Lee beat up Mike Tyson? Can Bruce Lee beat up Muhammad Ali? Can Bruce Lee beat up Godzilla? Like, whatever yeah. it was. And there would be all these, like, tall tales, or maybe they are real, or maybe they weren't. Who knows? Where, um, I remember two of them. First was, was he was so fast... That he actually had to slow down his moves so the film, like so the camera would capture it. That was like one of the things where he would almost fight not at half speed but at a slower speed, just so everything was caught on film. Well, and, they would do that even with, um, well, I mean, like with just Asian action stars coming to the U.S. Like I know with Jet Li, I think even with Jackie Chan too. I know Jet Li specifically. They made him slow down when he came to do like *Lethal Weapon* because they're like, "You're moving too fast. Like Americans won't be able to." How awesome is that? Yeah. How awesome is that? And then the other one was Bruce Lee was fighting an actual real, I don't know, um, I'm not good with the terminology or like what the classifications were of this fight, but he was either like Taekwondo, Karate, Kung Fu, like champion something, or like actually connected to the underworld, whatever. And they were going to do a fight scene and the guy was like, he was supposed to lose in the fight scene. He's like, I'm not going to fall. Like, if you want to fight, we, we film it and we fight and whoever wins, wins on film. Oh, uh-huh. and, they, and they're like, all right. And then Bruce Lee fought him. 
and then beat him. And then apparently the guy got up and went to the cameraman and ripped all the film out of the camera and like took it with him and burned it or something. Yeah. So that was like another tall tale. I remember when I was a kid where it was just like this one time he beat like a, a true like gangster karate master, like whatever it was. But also we were like six and we're yeah. like fucking the tooth fairy's real. So who knows if any of that has any clout. But I still remember these like weird Bruce Lee rumors. And we, you know, briefly touched about it on the first episode about how um, kung fu films and the art of either like the stories or also how the fighting turned into dancing and from like ethnic cultures in the seventies and eighties and nineties and, uh, the black culture in America. I think Kung Fu and stuff also translate really well into like children. It's just like something about these films too, where I would watch snippets of these or something, anything that has to deal with like any kind of martial arts. It is just so, it catches the eye so quick, and these stories, it doesn't matter. Like, you just watch it, and you're just, like, enthralled well, it's very as a universal. child. Well, universal. Like, you see, I mean, a kid, you know, might not understand, like, a lot of the, you know, a plot or understand, like, really what's going on, but stuff like that, um, you know, it's very visual and it's very universal. It's same with, like, uh, the silent comedians. That's why, like... Uh, Buster Keaton or Charlie you know, Buster Chaplin. Keaton. I mean, it's like, you know, like, yeah, this, that, that whole culture. I mean, that's also, again, like, very similar. You know, people like Buster Keaton, who just, yeah, like, he was doing it since he was born. Mm -hmm. You know, like, that sort of, like, that sort of tumbling and falling. And there's movies where, like, you know, Jackie Chan kind of, he... He, like, in, like fused comedy into Kung Fu. And that was it. Like, he, where a lot of, say, like, some of these other people, you'd say, like, oh, it's very dance. And he obviously, I mean, he is, he was, he grew up in a Peking opera school. Um, so he has that. But he definitely was the link between... Um, you know, a lot of those physical slapstick comedians like Buster Keaton, like Harold Lloyd, Chaplin to a lesser degree. I mean, you get like the, the pathos with Chaplin, but he wasn't quite as physical as the other two. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, then Jackie Chan adds that comedy, which is funny too, because when you think about um, when genres, you know, like start playing themselves out, they turn to comedy. Mm. You know, like Spaghetti Westerns did that. Yeah. You know, even like, it's like what... Um, you know, like when those things happen, it's like okay, like at a certain point, it becomes like almost comical, and you play with these tropes and you turn it to comedic effect. Um, and he did that, but he did it so well that he kind of like kept it going. It wasn't like the, uh, you know, the the death throes of the genre. It was literally like reinvigorate this. Um, All right. Yeah. Uh, what else do you have to say about the duel? Because I'm going to pivot again. Oh yeah. Well, I'd say, like, um, the duel... Well, the duel has so many... Okay, so I'm trying to where we were at. Um, <laughs> Sorry about this. Oh, People yeah, no. Oh, but then he... So he comes back. He gets back into town. He um, meets his buddy, and he figures out, like, what is actually, like, going on. And then you have uh, this thing where it's almost like It's a Wonderful Life, where he's come back to town, but then everything is fucked up. Like, his, um, his girlfriend uh, that he got the butterfly tattoo for, like, she's become like a prostitute, prostitute. oh my god you're right this is like a oh it's wonderful life. yeah i never even thought of that yeah so you have this whole thing and then his brother um who was also involved so the the leader who's now taking over the gang it was a whole this really elaborate coup yeah where he ended up um the brother was also involved in some shady shit and they were both like whatever like skimming off the top and doing this thing but then he ended up like um basically like ruining the brother and he's like also like an opium addict now and yeah. he's just a total like scumbag um so 
and there's like you know like this whole you know like series of like crazy fights just keep like going on and on but i also love that like his you know he's not totally sympathetic to his girlfriend i mean it's like instead of like being like oh like whatever i love you i got this butterfly tattoo it's just like god you fucking whore you know eventually kind of like comes around and um you know like and how you know, it teams up with her again but then um, those cronies that go after him well yeah and then they kidnap him well because he gets captured and there's that crazy torture scene. like so, mean, the the, the blowtorch blow but also yeah when he's like on that like that crazy spinning wheel and all the other crazy torture stuff they do to him it's so cool and it seems like some really like grand guignol style like horror where it's like and then even like with the burning it's like kind of even like you know, blood and black lace. Mm-hmm. And the woman's like face is burned on the fire. I know um, when they when he burns the dude that's initiating the burn interrogation is so great. Oh yeah. But then when his prostitute girlfriend just nice herself in the gut. Oh yeah. Like, well, that, yeah. He's trying to save her, and then she's like, "I'm not worth it." And it's like, so then he's like, "Okay, I'm trying to fight all these fucking people to fucking save you," and then you're fucking killing yourself. And he's like, eventually, like, "Okay, well, fuck, I just need to get out of this." This is when like a Chin Che movie, if you are. Uh, a woman watching it, you'd be like, oh my god, fuck this guy. Because <laughs> it's like, yo, come on, man. Yeah, but she is. it's the 1971, and it's Hong Kong, and they must have thought of I know, in totally. a different lights. Um, yeah, god. And then there's like, well, you know, uh, David Chang shows back up, and he's like, wears a mask. He's like, you know, and then he ends up like fighting um, with, you know, with him and like saves him, drags him off to his girlfriend's place, um, and then like there's all this like stuff that gets like the plot gets complicated because there's all these like crazy d- double crosses and like yeah. what's really going on. So then you realize that it was David Chang who ended up killing the father because he misunderstood like what was going on, and so then you have yep. um, like T Lung and David Chang. Yeah, they're kind of like squaring off, but then. David Chang is kind of like, I know you want to kill me, but I'm going to keep helping you and, like, figure your shit out. We'll figure the shit out. Like, I'm going to nurse you back to health, and then you're going to do your thing, I'll let you do your thing, and then if you want to still kill me, like, we'll go at it. Exactly. And that's exactly what happens. Yeah. Total, Um, like, Akira Kurosawa moment where it's just, like, rain, 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 so much goddamn rain. Everyone gets soaked, and then they just, like, have at it, and then they don't really kill each other, but they're both kind of dying well, yeah, they have a little thing. Well, they also like free all those hookers. They do all these like things where they realize it's like that. They that grab all the papers, on, the contracts. Yeah, yeah, the contracts, and all the, the women can like tear them all up. Um, and they have like there's just that like level of honor. They each like even if they're like, well, you know, I have to kill you, but whatever. Like this is we're gonna do this whole thing. But then by the end, once you realize that uh, the rover, he's actually like um, like a counter revolutionary, and he's like working for the government or whatever. But then they realize that the real villain, after all this, so they end up killing the, the guy. They beat the, the people who, like, fucked up this whole family and this gang. Um, they beat all of them, and they realize there's actually a bigger boss. And it's actually, like, the senator and all of his people. And yes. then at this point, they kind of, like, both realize what's going on. And the rover tells them, you know, like, this is the real story. And, you know, I'm sorry. I'm letting you know, like, I, you know, kill the thing. But then they have to fight one last time for... Uh, these guys, this is when things get even like more over the top and just like bloody, and it's just the two guys against everybody. But then they get like 
uh, David Chang gets this fucking bamboo shoot right through his gut. Hell yeah. And it's so crazy. But then, like, it's great because the attitude they have through everything is even at the end, like, they're both, like, so fucked up and they're dying. But it's like they are going out the slowest way possible. And it's just like, oh they're God. kind of even, like, laughing. They do this a lot, like, in the movie, it's like they kind of just laugh at death. Like, they yeah. do not give a shit. But they're even like, oh, I wish we could. You know, it's almost like, ah, this was a shitty shift. Anywho, you know? bye but, now. Um, but dead. then he has, like, to pull the bamboo shoot out of him and they basically just kind of like writhe around and you know admire each other it's almost like the you know it's like sex you know it's like I mean I haven't had sex like that but right on yeah uh <laughs> the I think besides watching the kung fu element and the hoya and all that kind of stuff and what have you I think maybe why People like me when I was a kid and other kids that I knew like really gravitate towards these kind of films because I watched I don't know how many when I was growing up but enough to yeah. I don't remember any of them but I remember this was like pretty prevalent in my childhood growing up is watching like stuff like this for at least a chunk of my childhood I think that maybe the simplicity of even as convoluted and crazy as these plot lines get but the actual simplicity of a man's code. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, like when you're a kid, you're like, when you're a man, like you, you have to like abide by this. And like, if you cross me, like you will get that and like whatever, like life isn't complicated to a child yet. So you just think like black, white, there's no gray. It's just like, everything is like this and that and the other. And I feel like these movies really achieve that when it's just like, I have to cut off my arm because, like, I told you I would if I'd lose yeah. this fight. <gasps> and it is like, yeah. And also, the consequences in life aren't that big. Even, like, you know, when they die at the end, it's just like, uh, they, like, embrace each other in death. And they're like, we've accomplished everything. We've killed everybody. Now we can die. It's end. that thing about, you know, like, these insurmountable odds. You know, it's like, that's the, uh, almost the inspiring part. You know, it's like, okay, like, you can, you know, even if you have to fight, like, 100 people, if you have, like, whatever that thing is in you like both your excellence at your what you're doing and that's also like that level of of um you know like super fighting ability it is it's like the uh Sergio Leone thing you know again like when he like crystallized like that that type of um character he is like hyper took like all those american westerns and things and even like you know japanese movies i mean everything kind of goes back and forth everyone kind of trades back and forth and they kind of forge this this concept but um it's in those um especially in the dollars trilogy when it's like you just have like you know like clint eastwood like he's that fucking sharpshooter and he can just like he can keep playing that game where he can you know keep shooting that you know the uh the rope out you know from uh eli wallach's you know every time he's gonna get like killed and just that like that level and these these movies also like take that that up it with uh you know the kind of eastern philosophical elements of uh the martial arts and you know your own code of honor and you know you're like this savage killer and you know, just a lot of taking that it's just it's so great it's so dynamite to watch on screen too just so fun but i love all the characters absolutely i think it's the best okay here i go are you ready? Oh, yeah, go for it. <sighs> Sorry, we're going to talk about Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, All right, good. so um, watching these films again made me realize, like, you know what I haven't seen? And I, I, well, I've watched the second volume so many times over the last decade, at least a handful, but I haven't watched volume one of Kill Bill in quite some time. But I remember 
I was kind of scared going to revisit it, to be honest with you, now that yeah. I know so much more about film and, like, covering stuff. Then I'm like, I almost don't want it to be ruined. It's like, I don't know if I want to wa- listen or watch this again. You, I'm sure everybody out there has had that feeling when they're like, oh, it's so good then. Like, can it be this good now? And, um, you know, the film came out in 2003. I saw it opening day. Like, I've seen every Quentin Tarantino film since Jackie Brown. And nothing can change the fact that when Volume 1 came out that it blew my fucking mind and i was ecstatic and i was like this is the craziest film i've ever seen in my life of course i didn't know anything about sinjin suzuki i didn't know anything about shaw brothers or at least knowingly um all kinds of stuff spaghetti western brian de palma whatever and Higokaji. yeah everything yeah. lady snowblood yes and i bought the soundtrack that day i listened to it endlessly um i kept talking about what was volume two was going to be like I remember it came out on DVD before the second volume came out. I watched it endlessly. Second volume came out. Oh, my motherfucking God. It is so fucking amazing. Blah, 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 blah. It kept going and going and going. And Kill Bill just was everything to me. And then I just stopped and lived my life and whatever. And then as time progressed, I would go and revisit volume two and never revisit volume one. And I didn't know why. And then I met you, and then we started hanging out, and we were watching all these movies, and I'm slowly starting to realize, like, oh shit, Quentin Tarantino bit this, and he bit that, and whatever. He calls it paying homage, whatever. And I'm starting to get freaked out, like, I don't know if I can go back and watch some of his older films, because I might look at it and be like, motherfucker, that's just this. And so, finally last night, I bit the bullet, and I'm like, alright, I'm gonna watch Volume 1 again. I really, really hope it doesn't change my opinion about the film, what have you. I throw it on, and besides the anime scene, which I never liked to begin with, I thought it was horseshit to even begin with, um, it's fucking bananas awesome. I fucking love Volume 1 so much. I love Volume 1. I, like, I had so much fun watching it. I should also mention that I hadn't seen the first Matrix in a zillion years. Oh, yeah. And you recently told me that you tried to watch it, and you're like, there's too many Oakley sunglasses, and like it's just getting weird. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I haven't seen that in so long, but I remember loving... Same thing. Came out in 99. I was 13 years old. Prime age, prime target to like watch it. Blew my mind. Changed filmmaking forever, the way that they shot, and all that kind of stuff. And I bought the soundtrack as well. Listened to it all the time. I really wanted leather... Yeah, uh, the fucking Columbine thing happened and it changed everything, so never mind. <laughs> and I was all about it. I tried to rewatch The Matrix, the original one, um, the day before I watched the Kill Bill series, and oh my god, does it not hold up? <laughs> so I'm just like, ah, oh, like there's some things I like, but I had to fast I forward. Like it. I, I want to like I it now wanna, too. Like I, I might try again. Like it seemed this funny because it was one of I, I, yeah, we'll we'll get into it. Yeah, I we'll get into it. And I, I watched the first like 30 minutes of it because I'm like, ooh, this is really cool. Like this is a sci-fi element, whatever. And then you know, blue pill, red pill, cool. And then after that, like, then the, the lovey-dovey shit starts to happen, and you're like, oh, okay. And then, like, all the philosophical shit starts to happen, and you're like, oh, whatever. And then all the computer-generated bullshit, you're like, oh, fuck, this sucks. Um, Matrix doesn't hold up, in my opinion, but it's still like, okay, I don't think I'm going to watch it anytime soon, but Kill Bill Volume 1, holy fuck, I had such a good time watching it again. I am very glad... I liked it just as much as I liked it the first time I saw it, but for completely different reasons. And I thought that the reasons that I would turn to not like it 
was because he was biting from other people. I just thought of it as we were mentioning before we recorded this episode. Motherfuckers having fun. Yeah. Like he recorded. I mean, he did Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Oh my God. Surprise hit. He gets the money to do Pulp Fiction. Nominated for Academy Awards. I think he won for screenplay. Like, oh my God. He does Jackie Brown. Kind of a low key failure. Has some years off, and then. It's the best movie though. It is. Like I, I, I will ride or die for Jackie Brown. I, I mean, I. It I was my favorite film it, yeah. when it came out. Yeah. I saw it the day it came out. I had the enter- I had the Entertainment Weekly of um, Bridget Fonda, Robert De Niro, um, Pam Greer, Samuel Michael Jackson. Keaton. No, Samuel Jackson wasn't on the cover. Oh. Michael Keaton, and there was no um, Samuel Jackson or um, Robert, Forster. Robert Forster. Maybe they weren't available. But that was the cover of the Entertainment Weekly. I cut it out, and like I had it on my wall. Like I yeah. was like obsessed. Like that movie is still my favorite Quentin Tarantino film. But Kill Bill was just such a fun ride. And it's so easy to show my friends that didn't like film. Like, you know, I showed Jackie Brown to all my friends growing up. And they're like, what? Then I showed Kill Bill and like, what? So it was like a whole other beast. Um, So like watching this film again and knowing the things that I knew of where he took them. uh, Yeah, it totally was fine. And he was having fun. He like somehow convinced Miramax. And like obviously we know like the slimeball Harvey Weinstein. Like I need like $60 million dollars. But he was I need to film such this a huge star. I mean, like, he was the biggest thing to happen in movies. And even if, like, Jackie Brown didn't perform as much as they wanted, like, there was he, They still know he had, like, a, something well, in the it chamber. Was like, yeah, I mean, that was, like, it was, yeah. He was so huge. And that was the thing, is I remember at that point, like, just being, like, peak Tarantino, where I just, like, couldn't handle any more Tarantino. That's when I got burnt out on Tarantino, because it was just, like, you couldn't... It was kind of like a lot of those things, just, like, it really is Star Wars. You mm. know, it's like... Nothing necessarily against Star Wars. It's perfectly fine what it is, but it's like you get so tired of hearing people talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then whatever, and that was like, I remember getting to that point. I'm like, I just need five years to not hear about Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> um, and I've never had that, but... Uh, Sorry. Yeah, no, it's fine. Especially no, knowing I, me. I, I'm like, I bring him up all the time, too. So, no, no, no. Um, I, mean, it's, I mean, it's just like the world we live in, especially the types of movies that we talk about. But it's funny. Yeah, finish your thought. Though. Okay, so yeah. All right, so now I'm going uh, so to get it to this. So um, when I was watching The Duel... Uh, it reminded me so much of the Kill Bill fight scene in the restaurant battle. Um, so, the first Tarantino film fest that he did in Austin for the Alamo Draft House Theater, he uh-huh. played this film. Oh, did he? Yes. I, I looked it up. It was in 1996, and he was like, this is like one of the most important films I've ever seen in my entire life, so this is definitely, definitely uh, taken and put into Kill Bill, so that's why the big giant like two-story restaurant fight happened in this is like like a small scale similar version to what happened in um kill bill um kill bill or quentin tarantino also said i still remember this i haven't looked it up since but back in the day when they were filming this movie i remember he was doing an interview with entertainment weekly and he was saying the hardest thing to be is a good action director you Mm -hmm. can be the best comedic director like uh, dramatic director, like whatever, but it's just like if you're gonna shoot action, like I have more respect for you than anybody else. Of course, I'm paraphrasing because I haven't read this article in like over a decade or maybe 20 years. Shit, and um, it could be more true. And boy, like this is really truly his only action film, and it's so fucking good. Yeah, um, anywho, so we also had what's his name? Um, god, who is that action? Now I, I can't look is the guy uh, from Battle Royale. The, the stunt coordinator? The well, fight he also coordinator. did The Matrix, and he did... Oh, okay. Um, yeah, he did, like, uh, what is it? Ping something. I don't know. Yeah. 
but he did a lot of a lot of that. So that really helps. I mean, he's, he's same like Chain Chase, like find the people that know how to do this really well, and then just let them let them yeah, do their thing. Just get it. Okay, so here are our, all the influences that I can pick up from Kill Bill Volume One that correlate with the things that we've talked about and things that maybe we will talk about later or we have talked about in the past. Um, the black and white to color in the beginning of the film mm -hmm. is taken from Tokyo Drifter. Yeah. Uh, how it just, the movie starts off black and white and all of a sudden the movie goes into color. It's like, oh shit, that's Kill Bill. Yeah. It's also been... Tokyo Drifter, it's, I don't know what lens he uses though. Like everything How everything's looks, blown out and bright. Looks, yeah, well, it's burnished. Even their skin looks almost like they're oiled down or like everyone's made out of bronze. I don't mm -hmm. know, the way that Tokyo Drifter looks is yeah. so cool. Also, in the final fight of Volume 1 in the restaurant, when he when she's down to like the final six um, Crazy 88 in that mm -hmm. fight, and everything gets black and then turns blue. That's from yeah. Tokyo Drifter, how like the, the colors change, whatever. Yeah. Um, but also, also was made, when I was, I was funny, I was watching it last night too, I was also thinking about, and it doesn't necessarily correlate, but when they would shift colors to censor the blood, kind of like what we even saw... Um, uh, Ricky O. Yes, and all the story Ricky, yeah. I was wondering if that was even like a reference to when some of those movies would be. Well, that's what I read up to, and I, I've known this for a long time. But uh, the MPAA was like, "You can't have this kind of shit. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to do something about it." And then he, even Taxi Driver had that; they had to shift the colors in that at the end. Okay, they could never find the originals. And same with the um, Tim Burton movie uh, Sleepy Hollow. Where uh, they had to make the blood color like some ridiculous like red or something. Yeah, yeah, where it's just like, oh, isn't it fine? It's not even blood color anymore. It's really okay. underrated maybe. Um, yeah, so the chapter two of Kill Bill is called The Blood Splatter Black Bride, mm -hmm. which we've both seen together and yeah. that's whatever. Um, the siren that Uma Thurman hears, it's a beep boop, mm -hmm. beep boop. That's from The Five Fingers of Death. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it's also, more importantly, a Quincy Jones riff. It's from oh, the Quincy nice. Jones album. So the Oren Ishii song uh, that plays through her like intro kind of thing mm -hmm. is actually from a Lucio Fulci film, which isn't my favorite, called The Psychic. Oh, I like The Psychic a lot. Oh, really? I haven't seen it since I first started getting uh, Lucio Fulci, and I remember not liking it that much. Yeah. Um, Uma Thurman's yellow outfit was, this is probably one Bruce of the more, Lee. yeah, exactly, Bruce Lee from Game of Death. And then split screen when it comes to the, the hospital with uh, Daryl Hannah put on the eye patch and trying to like stick her. Yep, De Palma uh, nod, which can also be a Hitchcock nod. No, De Palma. It's a, it's a De Palma I mean, thing. That was okay. one of the things that De Palma did that was definitely more him, and he would like play to the nth degree. I mean, it's great. The other thing is uh, watching these Shaw Brothers films. These uh, these last few that we've covered. When it gets down to the fighting, at least with the overdubbing, or maybe they were leaving it in from the actual film, but there's like the hi yeah hi yeah hi yeah, yeah. that uh, the guy uh, the bald dude with the thing that uh, oh, plays Lou yeah that plays Pau Mai or uh, Pai Mao in the second volume does the he's same. He's one of my favorite. I mean, he's like he's, he's really just like a cameo, uh -huh. but uh, he's one of my favorite parts. He was like a big Shaw Brothers. He was in like okay, the, yeah. So he does the thing that he, that that happens in the same. Like, hi yeah, like it's a it's a particular noise you would know if you are. And then obviously when they go to the Lucy Liu scene, it's straight up from Lady Snowblood. Even the fact oh, yeah. that when um, Lucy Liu dies, spoiler alert for Kill Bill, like you guys know what happened. Uh, they play the Lady Snowblood theme. Yeah. Um, also, that scene in the restaurant thing, shot in Shaw Brothers Studio. 
Oh yeah, he I had, remember watching he, a thing where he, he had like, to shoot there. Yeah, he shot a lot of stuff there, and he was like, "I'm here, I'm doing it." Yep, it's so great. And then the 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 scenes of Uma Thurman on the plane, the plane shot oh, itself. Okay, body snatcher from hell. Oh, okay. I I what I read it was uh, reused from a Godzilla set. Oh yeah, no, it's actually it's Goke Body Snatcher from Hell. It's that it's a movie of that. Uh, yeah, eventually I really want to cover for us. Awesome. It's it's st- straight up exactly that. Perfect. And then to uh, to keep going, uh, the final fight, and this is where I'm gonna incorporate Chin Che into this. So the final fight scene in Kill Bill Volume One took two months to shoot. The average Shaw Brothers film took two months to shoot. And the next film that oh, we're... Shoot, some of those shoots will only be like 10 days. Exactly. So the, the next film that we're going to cover on this podcast is The Boxer from Shuntan. It took... They spent one month doing it. Uh, it's long for that one. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, Chen... Or Chen Chen uh, would record all the stuff at night and then they have the assistant director do all the stuff in the day. He was uncredited. So you've got to... Obviously, money... Time is on Quentin Tarantino's side. Um, knowledge about the past, stuff like that. So you can look at, you know, the Shaw Brothers films and be like, yeah, but I mean, like, I've heard this argument before where it's just like, yeah, well, Quentin Tarantino, sure, he, like, has influences, but he takes those influences and perfects them. I don't agree with that at all. Yeah. Uh, I think that, like, he's in a completely different circumstance than these other people that were there beforehand, and also those people beforehand fucking invented it. Yeah. So it's like being like, you know, like, it's well, that thing where like, and that's also like kind of how I'm finding my zen with Tarantino is like, you know, like his influences are people I really love, but yeah, like they they didn't have the the resources that he did, but it's like even watching, because uh, I also watched Kill Bill Volume One last night too, but I'm just like he's just having so much fun, like as a movie fan, like like that's the jackpot, that's the lottery win where you're oh, like, yeah. yeah, like if you know. Like, A, if I was a, you know, skilled director and, like, could go, like, oh, hey, I'm going to go make a film at the Shaw Brothers studio and I'm going to be able to get these, like, superstars. I'm going to get, like, Sonny Chiba to be in my film. Or I'm going to get, like, yeah. Jordan Liu. Hattori Hanzo, like, Sonny Chiba playing a Hattori Hanzo is, like, like, give me a break. It's just great. It's, so it's the like, best. That's, you, you, you've got to appreciate that level of fun. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that he's necessarily perfected it. Where a lot of, like, creativity comes out of, like, necessity, you know, where it's, like, these people... They didn't have the resources, and they're like, "Okay, how are we going to make this interesting? Like, we have to create something, uh, something brand new." Um, but yeah, and yeah. The other, some of the other references, yeah, there's a couple, like uh, I was thinking of the sunglasses on the dashboard. Oh, Michael Parks's uh, dashboard. Yeah, yeah. from um, Gone in sixty seconds, like the, the oh, real shit. Gone in sixty yes, seconds. Yes, the original from the seventies. And yeah. then even like when, um, you know, is it like Lady Snowblood? When or not Lady? Is it Lady Snowblood? Yes, Lady Snowblood. Is that a Female Prisoner Scorpion. I get those confused when uh, you have uh, all of the killers like standing up. up like, Female Prisoner back. Scorpion. Female. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing was uh, Quentin Tarantino when he did Volume One, he did not want any kind of digital stuff. He never wants digital to begin with, but he also mm. didn't want any kind of crazy special effects when it came to like doing the blood and the guts and the amputations he still wanted to keep it shaw brothers style mm-hmm. so he said like we have to do it chen chest style any kind of squid that we used has to be fake blood in filled in the condom that's so, so that's entire kill bill like had to be like that and that's the thing too it's funny i mean and with um i mean i i obviously love that but i wonder like why there is that dis dissociation where people like will 
see like Kill Bill and then love it. Like, wow, that's awesome. But then don't go back to see these movies. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, That'd be the thing. I would think logically that you know, you'd have more people who'd like that would create more fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, would be like, oh, like you like that? Well, here's what the load of you know the jackpot is. Exactly. Um, and the last thing I'll mention is actually from Volume Two when Uma Thurman finally goes to train with Pal Mai or Pai Mao or whatever. Mm-hmm. The thing Quentin Tarantino originally wanted instead of it to be um, Cantonese. That had just has the English subtitles at the bottom. He was thinking about doing like he would do all his lines in Cantonese. They mute it and then they do a shitty dub, oh, like nice. Shaw Brothers, and it would be Quentin Tarantino's voice. And even he had to stop himself and be like, "All right, that's even too much for me." Yeah. So he didn't do it, which I would think it'd be kind of interesting if he did do it because they did the whole like Beatrix Kiddo thing and like bleeping out her name. Well, and that's doing what all- we did. What did we do? Oh, yeah, for Four Corpses? Yeah, yeah we ex- did it. Exactly. We've done it. So, Quentin, what's the deal, man? Come I mean, on. don't you want to aspire to be like us? Exactly. That's his real problem. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> long story short, I finally got to, to do my Quentin Tarantino rant on a podcast, and there it was. And I, I really, 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 really was so surprised in a good way of how much I enjoyed Volume 1, especially knowing what I do now because I don't look at it as him going like, oh, well, he's just taken from this and that. True that I think that back in the day when I thought that he just invented all of this shit, yeah. I knew he had influences, what have you, that I was like, this is like the most brilliant man that's ever walked the face of the earth. I don't think that anymore. But I do think that he takes his knowledge and he uses it wisely and he's got taste more than anybody working in Hollywood has taste. Well, we just you have that thing where you're like, it's like you're hanging out with somebody who has, yeah, it's like hanging out with somebody who has good taste and you're like, oh, yeah. Like, that is great. I agree. Yeah. It's like being at a party that everything's fun. But he also makes shit happen. He's, like, not just a guy that's just going to be like, all right, like, you got me. I'm going to do the next Iron Man movie. Like, he hasn't succumbed to any of, like, the Hollywood norms that, like, you know, David Fincher, Christopher Nolan, like, all those, Mm -hmm. like, big-time movie directors have done. Like, he's just followed the beat of his own drum. And, in my opinion, it's paid off. Yeah. But also, watching Kill Bill again... Made me realize, like, I need to revisit the Hateful Eight and, and Glorious Bastards. Uh, I do like Django, but I'm just like, ah, oh, just, I really hope Once Upon a Time in Hollywood just goes back to that, like, yeah. just come on, baby. Like, you yeah. still got it in you. I have really high hopes for her. I, I still, I've never not liked one of his movies, but I've liked other ones more. Yeah. And um, it's like been anybody. a minute. Like anybody. Yeah, but anywho, we've had. Believe it or not, we have one more movie to cover mm-hmm. on here, and it's going back to Shaw Brothers. Exactly. I need to pause. Too. Say what? All right, pause. Here we go. With the power of editing, we are back to talk about the last film. Wait. Sorry. Just kidding. Before we talk about the last film, uh, one, more, one more commercial to talk about. The Patreon. Sorry to bug you, but we have a Patreon for $5 a month. Every time that we post a podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this on, there's another one waiting for you on Patreon. We've talked about everything from screwball comedies to Tom Cruise to fucking Filmstruck to the new Criterion channel to two Matthew McConaughey's, David Lynch, Sam Peckinpah, you name it. It's not just the normal psychotronic cast mumbo jumbo we do here. We branch off and we also keep it a little more loose. So there's a lot more laughter and a lot more alcohol in the air when it comes to that. But in a good way, I promise you, it's such a good time. So come on down. Patreon.com slash Psychotronicast, or you can click the icon 
in the top left corner of our web page and subscribe to help us keep the lights off and the TV on. And hey, if you do subscribe to us, all you gotta do is write in and say, hey, I'm a new Patreon member, do this movie, or cover this director, or talk about this actor, and I promise you, we will do an episode on that. Anyway, back to the Shaw Brothers. Okay, we've got one more movie to talk about tonight, and that is... The Boxer from Shantung. Boom. Uh, so this movie, um, it isn't really part of the Iron Triangle. It does have David Chang in it. He comes in, I think, partly to help uh, the new lead, Chen Quan Tai, who's going to be a much bigger, bigger name in the Shaw Brothers films going forward. Um, and he even kind of gets incorporated in uh, some of the other movies with T. Long and, and David Chang, like uh, like the Four Riders, and uh, he pops in quite a bit. Uh, but this is kind of like a, a proto Scarface, uh, like Brian De Palma Scarface, not the Howard Hawks version. Um, and yeah, going forward, you, you can see some of these uh, these similarities. But it opens up. You've um, you've got uh, his name's like uh, my. I can't think of his full name, but yeah, you uh, you meet the lead character, and he's with uh, God. I'm just dropping David Chang. Names. No, not David Chang. It's the other. Guy oh yeah, the pimpsqueaky dude. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, they're together. He's he's now uh, he's now now Chen's right hand man. But they're sleeping in the stairwell of like an inn, and they're getting kicked out. And the innkeeper's like, you know, get out of here. And he's like, we paid for it. But it, it kind of plays up. Like, the staircases play a big thing in this movie. And they, they're used very literally as far as, like, making it up and down the staircase. And then the, the final scene of this movie, it deals with a lot of going up and down the staircase. Um, but their whole thing is they end up in um, in Shanghai. And they're, you know, this is like around the turn of the century. And they, uh, yeah, he really is, is trying to make it big. It's like there's... You know, just all this like shit going on, like always throughout the 20th century in China, like um, just all this crazy turbulence. But he's, you know, on the the bottom of society. He, he plans on making his way up. They end up getting through. Um, well, they end up like uh, out in the in the street, and they get like whipped by this like cart driver, and they get in this big fight. And there's this great scene where you see this cigarette holder just like pop out of the side of the screen. And you say, no, this is like David Chang's yeah. introduction. It's like, Chang oh. Chang uh, special feature or whatever. Exactly. His You're calling like, card, the fucking cigarette holder. This ivory cigarette holder. Um, so David Chang in this movie, he plays uh, Tan, who's uh, one of the like triad gang leaders in, um, in Shanghai at this point. And there's, uh, it's interesting because there's, going to be two main rival gangs uh, that are going to be in Shanghai. There's uh, Tan, and there's another group. Uh, it's kind of like the four champions, I guess, or the the leaders of this gang. But uh, Tan is going to be kind of the, uh, the good gangster. Um, and it's funny because I talked about earlier in our last episode where in American films, you never have, like, good gangsters. That's not, like, a thing at all. Mm. And they end up in this whole um they get into like a little bit of a fight over like a dollar and they end up finding this like mutual respect you know between each other you know over this it's like okay well i'm gonna have i want to have you know david chang is in this like beautiful carriage this like really dope and he's just like dressed really great and and uh my is like you know whatever i'm gonna 
I'm gonna fucking you know be like you one day. It's like this. He's just like found his idol that he's gonna try to live up to, and at the end of it, he ends up like, um, you know, tossing away the dollars. Like I don't even need this. Like I'm gonna you know work more. You know, he's just like he's got this. You know, like we've talked about before, like this kind of moral compass. Mm-hmm. You know that he's you know got this code of honor that he lives by, and he's gonna play this throughout the throughout the movie. But he's just like you know someday I'm gonna be just as rich as this dude. Um, and it's, you know, whatever, I'm going to make it. And they end up, he quickly ends up, like, stumbling into this, uh, like, other, like, hatchet fight that's going on from the other gang. But he really holds his own, and he, like, you know, jumps in there and fights, and then everyone kind of takes notice. And they're like, you know, what the fuck is with this guy? And they're like, should we be fighting him? Or, you know, what, what's up? And he's just like, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just here, I'm just doing my thing. I'm not trying to, like, get involved. But he's just totally, like, put on this radar. Yeah. Um, and a lot of stuff, you know, revolves around this, like, this popular tea house. He ends up meeting this pretty girl that, you know, he kind of has, like, a little flirtation with. She's, like, a musician in the tea house. Um, and you end up finding out that these two gangs, they're basically involved in the opium trade in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, around the same period. And that's going to kind of, like, play in a little bit later. Uh but there's this other this competition also going on too with this it's a like a Russian or like European wrestler who's like a giant compared to everyone in China. Yeah. And for twenty like basically for twenty cents, they can go to try to fight him and if you beat this guy you win twenty dollars, which is a shit ton of money. Shit ton of money. Um, which reminded me, like when I saw this movie, I was like, I need to get my ogre ass over to Hong Kong or uh, <laughs> Shanghai and just like start fighting these know, right? small Chinese kids. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, I think I missed. And so, like, you see, like all these you know, guys kind of going up and trying to fight, and they have like the different like kung fu skills, and then he's just like slaughtering all of them, um, and then. Um, God, like, then eventually uh, Mai, like, goes up, and he ends up, like, whooping the guy's ass, and it becomes, like, this big thing. He gets his $20, mm-hmm. and he uses it. He goes and buys his own cigarette holder. Yeah, part of his, that, like, that was his, like, big spoil, like, yeah. yeah he's like, okay. I've made it. I have a cigarette. I'm Cruella de Vil. Exactly. And he basically, like, what happens is he ends up, so these fights, he ends up beating um, a lot of the other, like, uh, the guys that are getting the payoff from all the businesses yeah. in the area. And they're all like, the businesses are just giving him the money. Like, well, you beat everybody, so like, here's all this money. You have this. Mm-hmm. And he quickly just like, you know, starts rising up the ranks. Big time. Fast. Quickly. Fast track. But then he's also like, the thing is, he's got um, this, uh, you know, the moral code that he has. Like, he doesn't want his, you know, his guys to then start, like, you know, putting the squeeze on too hard on the poor people. He's like, you're never going to get any money from them. Like, mm-hmm. ease up. And he's, you know, almost like, not quite a Robin Hood. I mean, he's a gangster still. Yeah. You know, he's going to take. And that becomes an issue with the girl mm-hmm. that he kind of has the romance with, where she's the one person who kind of calls him out. She's like, like, I don't want to fucking sing for this guy. Like, he's just as bad. Like, we're trying to act like he's, like, whatever. But he's just another fucking boss mm-hmm. uh, which is you know kind of rare for a Chang Chang movie where like you have the, the woman, woman is like, like speaking up and she's like calling it how it deal. is yeah and uh, you know eventually she's gonna like head out he then later you know Maya as he's like building up he ends up getting his own you know like really dope you know cart you know carriage kind of like Tans mm-hmm. you know it becomes this 
this whole thing, and then later, um, you know, Tan sees him and is like, "What the fuck is with this?" And For then real. his buddy is just like, "Oh, it's just like yours." Like he's just making his way up. It's like he's like nouveau riche that way. You know, yeah. he hasn't. He's you know grown up poor. He's got new money. Exactly. So he's just like trying to be, you know, trying to be like his idol. And it's funny because then later on in the movie, like, um, you know, Tan David Chang tells his buddies like, "Hey, just." You know, let him know, like, he, he trusts these guys. He kind of gets in with the other gang a little bit or they're kind of using him, you know, a bit. And he's just like, but just, you know, like, he's naive. You know, you're like, you might be tough and he might be honorable, but it's like they are a totally different beast. Oh, yeah. You know? He's, yeah, this is a whole other ball game. Absolutely. And he ends up like, he's like, okay, we need to, like, open a casino. Like, where are we going to do it? And he ends up finding this one that it's, you know, not... Being run well is kind of like in the weird like gray spot between like t- he doesn't want to like fight against Tan because that's his like hero, and he doesn't really care about the other gang a little bit. But he ends up like trying to take over this this casino, but then the boss, the four champions, just decides to kind of give it to him, you know, just to kind of like he's like, well, whatever, we we'll get him. It was just like give it to him. And it reminds me there was in Portland back in like the forties and fifties, there was an organized crime boss. Who would do the same exact thing? Like he was one of the few crime bosses in the country that wasn't affiliated with any of the the major, like um, the Kansas City or the New York City or yeah, Chicago like or, or even yeah. Like, and because what he would do is he would let people come in, like you know, other operations would come in, and he would help set them up. Mm-hmm. He would like you know, like oh yeah, hey, like look at you, you know, set up startup here, capital, get you all ready, get you whatever. Yeah. But then he had the the cops. On his payroll, mm-hmm. so then when he, they got you know just up and they were cresting and doing really well, he'd have them all shut down and just cripple them all. Yeah, and then he had gotten a big uh, beef with the Teamsters because then they ended up trying to come into Portland and um, and it ended up being this whole other deal. But it was, I thought it was really funny. Like you know, they're like okay, we're gonna give him the the casino. We don't really care about that right now. Yeah, he'll win this, but we're gonna use him um, as a pawn because what they really want. Is they want to try to get Tan out so that they can have the sole uh, involvement because I think Tan has the better connection for the opium that they're trying to sell. Okay. Oh. Okay. So they're like, okay, we need to get Tan out. Yeah, some stuff started to get kind of like twisted up in me when I was watching the movie. I was like, okay. this one is, for me is a little bit more like for a lot of their plots get so complicated that you're like, what? But this one I can put together a lot easier in my head. Good. Yeah. No, I'm I'm, I'm glad I'm hearing this. Now. Yeah. So there's going to be like a, a trade-off with Tan. So the, the four champions boss you know, is trying to set him up and they're going to like just take him out because they know he's going to be out in the country and they're going to try to get his connection. So uh, the scene is so cool because they just like, it's just, you know, total slaughter. Tan realizes he's you know, getting fucked over, gets, gets it in the gut like right away, but he still like goes down and just like slays mm-hmm. and just kills everybody else. Yep. And then... Um, he you know ends up like back in his his carriage, just the cigarette holder. He lights it, and he's just like, and he's even kind of like laughing, at, like "fuck, this is how he went out." Like, yeah, for real. You know, it's just like that total that attitude that he has, like in all these movies. In every movie, yeah, like he never like, changes character. Like, all right, this is it. Mm-hmm. Fuck this. This is the game. I'm playing it, and this is how I lost. Um, and then, you know, eventually, like uh, mine and his buddy end up like driving out because they're trying to meet up. They don't know that there's like a you know, a setup. They're going to go out because they know that Tan's going to be out in the country or whatever. They go out there. They find his body. Yeah. And it's actually, I just love the way that whole thing is shot. Like, even the way the camera will slowly go around, the, you know, you know, 
the the carriage and you see you know David Chang in there just dead with a cigarette holder still oh, in yeah. his mouth and you know and uh, you know my like sees him and he's totally shocked he's like fuck I need to go back I do love how everybody holds their death pose in these movies yeah it's yeah it's like and freeze and this is it it's like almost like it, it, it yeah it, it's like a cooler version of rigor mortis yeah totally. It's like yes, yeah, like dignified, and it's like they get that final honor. It's just like their mm-hmm. their death pose. Yeah, um, Vogue. And you know, at this point, this is like when I realize it's like okay, like this is you know fucked up. And he has a meeting. The leader of the four champions, like he sets up. He's like, I'm gonna meet him um, in the tea house. Okay, and yeah, it's gonna be public. We're gonna have our little like showdown, like whatever. And because he's so naive, um, you know, Mike you know, shows up and he's like, oh, whatever, like, you know, I've got them. Like, I know that they're going to do whatever, but, mm-hmm. you know, I've got this. But then right before he gets there, they replace everyone, like you would think, like everyone in the tea house has been replaced with, uh, you know, four champions, gangsters. Mm-hmm. Um, they get everybody up. They get the boss of the, the tea house. They're like, you need to get everyone out of here. Like, whatever fucking happens, whatever. And it's similar, like, they do that also in... Um, I think it's in Vengeance or the Duel, whatever. Where it's like in the beginning, they're just like, okay, whatever happens here, just whatever. Like, just chill out. We'll take care of everything. We'll pay for the damages. Whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. Um. So he ends up like, he shows up to the meeting. It's up the stairs, and it's in the same sort of like setup. And it also reminds me, if you watch Brian De Palma's Scarface, the architecture at the end of Scarface is also set up just like this oh, with the staircases yeah, yeah, and with yeah. the balconies and. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he shows up and he's meeting with the main guy. The main guy, too, is just like the old men in these movies. There's a couple they use quite a bit. Have like, like just grody teeth. They're fucking disgusting skin. Their skin. Yeah. Dude, they need clear cell stat. It's so crazy. It's like they need, like, these guys are going to be nasty and they're going to just look nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, so he sits down. Um, but he quickly just like shows, like, I don't give a fuck, like, what is going on. And he, you know, because the fight begins, but almost immediately, um, when the fight begins, like the he gets it a fucking axe, a hatchet in the fucking gut. Because they all like they're all lined up. They have hatchets everywhere. So yeah, they're like. If you follow us on Instagram, this is where I'm taking that hatcheting from. Oh yeah, on our feed. <laughs> Pardon me, but um, but he fights for this. This fight scene is about twenty minutes long, and he fights with a fucking axe in his gut. Yeah, totally, and just like fucking slays they it's so brutal it's just insane it just goes on and on and on you just like this can't keep going on but it does but it basically like without going into all the, the blow by blow he makes it like down the stairs but he's constantly it's like literally he's fallen from like the top where he was at you know sitting with the big bosses all the way back down where he was down the stairs and he keeps trying to make his way up and they keep kicking him back down yeah and it's like it goes on and on to the point that he actually finally chops down one of the main poles till the whole fucking balcony falls down. Yeah, and they just like fight it out. Like, it's so on great. The ground. It's it's like I'll so, just tear down the foundation of this motherfucker. It's insane. Yeah, it's like I can't even like watching this. I I've seen it now twice in the festival weeks. And they probably like, filmed it in like three hours. It's, it's 1971. Like yeah. Shaw Brothers. Take is anybody taking notes? And we've already discussed Quentin Tarantino was. But yeah. even when we were watching stuff from the 80s, like Seating the Ghost, whenever they get to like a fight scene, like the Shaw Brothers had it down so well that it was just like, pop, 
pop, pop. And it's like, oh, of course, nobody nobody shoots like they do. Like, nobody knows fighting like the Shaw brothers. And I love the Raid films. And the Indonesians are, like, kicking ass, even though I know, like... Um, well, they just had, like, people that could do it. Like, and especially, like, with... Um, like Chen Kwan Tai, like the lead in this, who I think is all, you know, is very handsome, very charismatic, and it makes sense why he became like a much bigger star. He's in stuff like Flying Guillotine and um, stuff going forward. But he was actually a martial arts champion in Singapore in 1969, so he had like those chops, and he looks really good. Like, you know, his his motions are just like so convincing and just like really effective, yeah. even more than like some of the stuff that is more. Um, uh, you know, choreographed. You know, I mean, it's all choreographed, but you know, like uh, something that's more like dance, like that plays really well on film because it's just like it's very big and it's just like dramatic and yeah. exciting. Um, but his stuff does seem just a, that shade more ruthless and more brutal, and you just feel that brutality just going on and on. And it's mm-hmm. this, this movie is longer than a lot of the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just over two hours, which a lot of them are usually from like ninety to forty-five, uh, an hour and forty-five minutes. Yeah. Um, but this one's just a little over two hours, and it's all that fight scene. Yes. Um, it just is so brutal. It's amazing. I think it's yeah one of my favorite, oh, my yeah. favorite fights I've ever seen. Like the the man with the one arm swordsman. Like the first one was kind of rough for watch, and then the remake. I was like, oh good, this is better. But then these last three that we just talked about, I'm like, all right, now we're talking. And also now we're I starting t- to cook. We're cooking. Totally forget. It's like it's hard to talk about like fight scenes because you're like okay how do you like and then this you, you can't do it it's just like you just have to watch it it's like talking about dance but there are like gags I can't remember now I think it's in the duel when one of my other favorite like uh, Final Axis and the guy they're in the fight and the guy holds up a stool to his head to try to shield himself but someone stabs a sword through the stool and basically pins the stool into his, the guy's head what I, I can't don't remember which movie that's it's like great. one of these I've just rewatched all of them in the past like day yeah so it's so all now just one, one movie and that's even the thing with like you, you, these movies they all have like you know like a musical like every within every five minutes there's gonna be like some other like really epic yes. fight um and they all kind of when i'm watching them i'm just totally gripped mm-hmm. that's even like why my notes are so crazy for these movies because i'm like at a certain point i just get so sucked in oh yeah just the experience of watching it that trying to like you know piece together talk about it by plot is so difficult yeah um but yeah, I don't know. I it was just yeah. These movies were all like a big revelation to me because these are the movies that I never see play like in um, kung fu theater. And actually, like when I first started watching some of these movies, it was about like I remember it was in two thousand three. It was at the Northwest Film Center in Portland. They did a big retrospective of Shaw Brothers kung fu movies, and that's where I first saw it. Uh, like come drink with me when I'm swordsman. Uh, like thirty six chambers of the Shaolin. Uh, there's a whole group of them. Mm-hmm. I think it was probably around the time that Celestial bought the Shaw Brothers and they started restoring them and they oh, just yeah. did like a retrospective touring around. I tried to find the listings so I could see exactly which ones I saw. Um, but these these movies were not included in that. Yeah. Um, and they aren't included. Like, I think they probably didn't play as much in the U.S. I think some of the later movies, the later Kung Fu movies, um, definitely got more more play. Yeah. And I think these are definitely the types of movies that I think Quintantino's directly ripping on for Kill Bill. Yeah. You know, more than like... So well, that's why I yeah. thought I'd bring up the Kill Bill movies, the movie now, because yeah, I'm absolutely. like, what, after watching these three, I was like, uh, yeah, like, yeah. and I think they should definitely like, people should definitely check them out because uh-huh. they are, they're like so entertaining. Even like the going down like the list of things that you know even aren't as highly rated. I watch them. I'm like, these are so entertaining. Like they are, they just have so much. And also once you start like getting all the characters, you start knowing all the actors and what their deal is, exactly. and you can see that like. 
the movies, if you watch them cold, um, like I just watched one, you know, out of the, the blue, I don't think they work quite as well as if you start watching them all together, because then all these things start, like, building, and you can, like, start playing off of the star power of the people, because you know who they are, you know what their deal is, so when you see them come in, you know, you're, like, you're already primed for, like, what, what's happening, or it's almost, like, more inside jokes, it's, it's it just works so much better, I think, uh, if you start taking them as a whole, um, and I highly recommend people do this and we're all people that multitask these days too with a gadget in our hand and a tv on and us fucking around on a computer or like cleaning the house whatever just to put any of these films these are all available for free on amazon prime and there's like a grip of them put any of them on and then as soon as you hear like and then just turn around look at the tv like who cares about the plot just like look at how they like conquer like the art of fighting on film especially any guy that after listening to these podcasts or just reading about any of these in general like the time constraints they're on, the budget constraints, the fact that they like railed off like six, seven movies per director a year, you're just like, wow. And these movies were meant to entertain, and they're endlessly entertaining. True. True dad. I think that's this was 1971, like... it's 2019, and I'd take any one of these movies over any fucking Avengers movies any day of the week. Yeah, it's just like, you know, like, I think there's a lot to be learned. Like, people, I've heard some people complain, like, oh, it's funny. I, I, some reviews I read people are like the fights are just so unmemorable even though this movie I'm like if that's if this fight is unmemorable to you that is on you it's like where do you like what fights are you watching exactly because <laughs> you know I'm oh, sorry these fights don't look like they're in a video game because these are actually like reality like realistic yeah. not realistic fighting but it's just like real people like you can hold these it's tangible I, I don't there's, there's no that. I don't know Fuck people. Yeah, but we but, love, think, but we love you. Yeah, no, but I do think that like I I just highly recommend these movies. All right, yeah, so great. We're calling yeah. this one. Yep. So almost at an hour thirty. We're good. Head over to the Patreon. We're gonna talk about the Beach Bomb because you know that's just like the movies that we were talking about earlier. Just kidding. <laughs> Anywho, um, thanks for tuning in. We got two more in the series. Uh, who knows how many more movies we will be talking about in those two episodes. But uh, Amazon Prime, they got them all. Just watch them all. Do it, please. Anywho, until then, let's just keep it purely casual. <laughs>